Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Tom, are you ready for Top Chef Season 18? I am super excited. This is one of the most unique seasons I think we'll ever see on Top Chef. I can't wait to see what happens. And Top Chef alums are back. It's Portland, one of your favorite cities. All that, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, we didn't think we'd get it this year. We have Top Chef is back. Portland, Oregon. I think one of our favorite food cities. Amid a pandemic, they're able to pull off this season. A lot of new chefs from cities where I haven't had the good fortune of dining. So some 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 kind of mystery guests, at least for me. This is uh this is exciting. What 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 do we know? What do we want to know? What is going on at Top Chef? Yeah, so apparently they um they've been looking at Portland for years as the host city of Top Chef and for whatever reason they couldn't make the timing right and so this year they decided to say, "All right, finally, we're going to do Portland." And then <laughs> 
the the president of the United States sends federal troops to descend upon the city. There are riots happening. There's an Oregon wildfire that just like smoke engulfed the entire city. And then there's, oh yeah, a pandemic amid all of this. Um, And so a lot of curveballs were thrown their way to do Portland and they still pulled it off. They taped it in September and October uh, from what I gather, I was reading a couple articles in the Oregonian um, and various other places where it was really hard to pull off this season. They had to put the contestants not in a house anymore. They were in a hotel, an undisclosed hotel where they had the entire hotel blocked off for the contestants. Um, and then they had to redesign the kitchen, Kevin, so to be more social distancing, Um one of the interesting things that I hadn't considered, but one of the key staples of Top Chef is when Padma and Tom or Gail, during those quick fires, Kevin, they'll walk from station to station and try the food of each chef. But this year, they can't do that because of COVID. So what they've done is they've had all of the chefs, the chef testants have big giant um, chef tables with their own ingredients. They're no longer allowed to share ingredients. And when the quick fires happen, they have to present the dish to the judge's table, which is a semicircle now, extra big to, to for spacing. And there's no longer that kind of like, hey, uh, what did you have here? And the chefs have their hand behind their back and they do that little pageantry. Now they bring it to the chefs rather than the chefs coming to them. So they're little... Uh, wrinkles this season um and i just thought they wouldn't be able to pull this off but apparently they did uh portland is an amazing food city that i haven't been to as much as i'd like you've probably been there a hundred times more than i have but as a food city what do you think about them choosing portland Long overdue for a number of reasons because portland is always punched above its weight in food and, and for a lot of reasons i mean one is you know, this whole food truck movement that we've seen in the last decade, 10, 12 years, Portland was ground zero for that. My, my favorite food truck in America, Nong's Kanmangai for Hananese chicken rice right there in, in Portland. Viking Soul Food, one of my favorite uh, food trucks, also usually works out of Belmont in that area. There's this great place downtown I used to go to after my run, Tom, along the river called Kingsland Kitchen for English breakfast sandwiches out of a truck. Uh, if you were staying downtown, it was great. Uh, there's there's wine country, and I mean like legitimate wine country within an hour of Portland. So look, I, I think one of the staples of the show is you, you can sort of change venue. All of a sudden, you put the, the contestants in a uh, sponsored vehicle and you transport them to this new place, whether it's like a like an oyster hunt or or vineyard, and you can do that in Portland. There are a million different topography, topographical options. You could send them camping at breakfast, like without fire, and then by dinner they could be at the vineyards and you still have the city in between. Uh, it just was sort of made for that, and not to mention just great, great, great neighborhood cooking in Portland. Um, you draw upon Asian Pacific influences. There's all kinds of stuff. Portland, along with Atlanta, to me, are sort of the the best remaining cities. Uh, or Philadelphia, I guess. Would all, we put Philadelphia in that category? Absolutely, as well. They haven't been to Philly, right? We've talked about this. Mm. 
Have they right. not been and to Philly? So, so Philly, Portland, and Atlanta to me were kind of the, the best cities in America for Top Chef that have not yet been selected for Top Chef. So they get to knock Portland off the list. Um, just a ton and ton and ton of great places. Um, I haven't been up there actually in a, about three years, so I'm a little behind. So I think a lot of my brick-and-mortar favorites, there have probably been some new joints. Uh, some of those old, older joints might be gone. But it is just like night for night, day for day, once you take care of your – your food truck, your your brick and mortar neighborhood, go out to wine country. Like Portland is just fan, a amazing, amazing venue for Top Chef. Yeah, and it's uh, Gregory Gordet's uh, home home city, right? So he's going to come back. Uh, Chef Gregory's coming back to to be a rote, part of the rotating guest judges that were Top Chef alums, which is first time ever they're doing this. Is instead of having you know, uh, Emerald Lagasse or whoever it is coming in as the guest judge. Um, they're having the top chef alums come through. So Richard Blaze, Carrie Baird, Nina Compton, Tiffany Derry, uh, Melissa King, who won last year's uh, season 17 LA All-Star season, Kristen Kish, Edward Lee, Kwam, Chef Kwame Onwachi, Omar Santana, Dale Talday, and Brooke Williamson. So all of these familiar faces are going to be back for a season Fifteen, and I'm really excited for Chef Gregory to kind of play host a little bit. He had an amazing run both in his season, I think season twelve, and then last last season where it was just a back injury, um, wasn't able to perform at the top of his game, and now he comes back, and it's kind of he gets to play host. He opened up his own restaurant. Remember the um, the uh, I think they he debuted or at least the, the concept of it was at Restaurant Wars back in season 17. Um, Khan is open in Portland as of December. And so that's really cool is that he has his own restaurant. Um, and we get to see Portlandia stars, uh, Fred Armisen, Carrie Brownstein. Fred Armisen had a line where he says, pack your dives a little too early in the trailer. We saw this. Um, I think we got to clip that for, for our show is Fred Armisen saying, pack your dives. It's amazing. So I'm excited about the, the season. Um, I have to like text my, my Portland folks, like, like, like Coop Moorhead. I want to text him and see about all these different spots that they hit up, uh, hood river, fruit loop, Columbia river gorge, Mount hood territory, Tillamook Bay to a Valley and, uh, Willamette Valley in wine country, um, all of those things I've never been to. So Kevin, like of those names, anything that bounce off the page there? Yeah, Lama Valley and 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 in that area, sort of southwest of Portland. Again, it, it is like Portland Pinots, or rather, Portland Pinots, Oregon Pinots are just. I mean, this is this is great, great wine country. And again, what, what what's so nice about it is it's so close. You have like you have, um, I, and I believe it's Yamhill County. Where so many of these places, you, you kind of get to to Newburgh and then you kind of go. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful wine trail, and um, yeah, there's just so many of these biodynamic vineyards. It, it's it, it, it's you're going to enjoy this because, and, I, and my only my only sadness is is that like we couldn't con the good people um, at Bravo and, and and Top Chef to kind of letting us kind of smuggle ourselves in for for for, <laughs> for restaurant wars or one of these vineyard you're cooking for 150. I guess we're not going to have those sort of nice food fairs and, hey, here are a bunch of 150 people coming around. You're giving me each yeah. plates. And I mean, I'm actually really curious to see how they do handle this and whether 
because look, we know the competition will be great. We know we're going to see great chefs, great food. We'll get a little drama. We'll argue. We'll have our takes. Um, it's going to be interesting to see to what extent we feel like things are missing because you don't have those 150 people at a garden party kind of rubbing shoulders and schmoozing and and getting right up into the uh, to the chef and those conversations and like like that is like that's I, I'm, I'm you know those are things you take for granted as conventions of top chef that you don't imagine not having and by virtue of not having them like what is that going to do to the actual production and the product on the screen yeah i'm wondering like that's a great point like when they do those oh you have to serve 150 plates are they going to still do that if they're not 150 people to serve? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really good question. Like, how do you like you lose out on a couple of different of your kind of uh, your 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 tried and true challenges, right? And, and you know they're always repat, right? It's like, oh, you you're going to do 150 firemen or 150 hungry college basketball fans, right? Like like you always it, they vary in in context, but the the general parameters of the challenges are always the same, which is lots of people. It's and even like the inner, like one of the things you love about those sort of 150 people, you each have your own little table, putting out your little paper plate thing, is that like there's a hecticness. Like you feel mm. the chefs feeling the pressure of there just being a ton of people that they've got to serve, lines piling up at this site. Like that is there are not so much later in the seasons, but I do feel like early in a lot of these seasons. So much of the pressure and drama on the contestants can be summed up by saying tons of people waiting in line in close quarters for your food. Can you get that food out before they get restless? And I think that's sort of my question. Yeah, and I I did read that they are going to do a new wrinkle for Restaurant Wars. There's always a new wrinkle in Restaurant Wars, but this year especially is going to have to be different because you're not bringing in – restaurant uh customers right so you have to come up with a different conceit uh which will be interesting um they are bringing back thank god they're bringing back um uh last chance kitchen which has become like our favorite little uh amuse bouche uh of of this of this show i love that uh tom colicchio is going to continue doing that um what they aren't going to do it seems like they're not bringing back former contestants to compete on the show. So there's no kind of like last chance kitchen losers bracket that moves into the competition later with, uh, you know, former top chef contestants. So this is uh, a new crop of chef testants, completely new. There's no alumni in this group. There's 15 chef testants and we both have scouted them. And I mean, why don't we just go through it? Uh, Contestant by contestant, what we know, what we don't know, and um, some. I have some stats here and some just some notes, but yeah, let's run through some of these yeah. contestants. I, I, so I, you know, it's interesting. I I kind of did a quick uh, perusal of the names, uh, trying to kind of figure out, hey, like let, let's is there is there a pecking order? How can we evaluate? It's interesting. Of the fifteen contestants, five have Beard Award nominations to their name. Um, starting with the first name on the list, Brittany Anderson in Richmond, Virginia. By the way, another uh, one of the things I really like about this season, at least from my standpoint, is um, it's fun to kind of know chefs and have been to their restaurants. It's also fun to have chefs in cities that I have absolutely no frame of reference. Like I have, like I've heard really good things about Richmond in the last uh, few years. Don't know any, haven't been, and I, I know there's like a cool 
restaurant scene close in. Mm-hmm. And she mm-hmm. is one of the kind of one of the tent poles, Brittany Anderson, one of the tent poles of that Richmond scene, right? Uh, a two time semifinalist, uh, apparently has like the modern German restaurant. Tom, we're talking, we're talking schnitzel. We're talking beer brine pork chop. This is Brittany Anderson from Metzger Bar in Butchery. And um, which I believe, if you were listening to this show, reopens on Friday, March 26th. We were we were recording this show the day before. If you were listening to it, that means that in Richmond, Brittany Anderson is rolling it back out. Metzger Bar and Butchery due to open. So like she's kind of a, a an interesting sort of portrait of kind of one of the sort of five Beard Award nominees uh, who are going to be in this field of 15. Yeah, because you want both a mix of accomplished chefs that have their own restaurant that ha- are two-time James Beard Award nominees, but you also want the kind of the prospects, the the gems, the diamonds in the rough where they just explode when, when they come onto the scene because they haven't gotten their opportunity yet. So um, she's definitely more, I think in this group, she's more of a, a blue chip stock here is that she's got, um, she's got a pedigree. She worked in New York. Um, uh, she's, she's got, you know, the James Beard award background. I think she is, on this group, definitely some of the most accomplished of the chefs. Uh, you want to go in alphabetical order? Or you want to uh, yeah, poke around? Go. What do you want to do? Um, uh, so yeah. the, the next alphabetically, Avishar Barua has one of my favorite profiles because and, – and you will appreciate this, Tom. Um, one of his claim to fame is that he did his own take on the Taco Bell cheesy gordita crunch at his joint in Columbus – um, he's Bangladeshi American, and uh, this dish uh, is is supposedly just kind of like one of the great hangover. It, it, it's it's the cheesy brisket crunch. That's his take. Is one of the uh. great hangover dishes in America, Tom. Uh, the cheesy brisket crunch, uh, paying homage to the gordita at Taco Bell, which I have never consumed, <laughs> um, but I, you might have from your college days. I don't know. Uh huh. Um, uh-huh. But the so that was sort of crunch was an off menu item when I was in college. So I oh, was it go, really off menu? I would go to well, like at the time, uh, the cheesy gordita crunch was actually off menu. So they had it for a while, and then it was off menu. And I shit you not, I would go through the drive through and be like, "I'll have the cheesy gordita crunch." I know it's off menu, but I was wondering if you guys could do it, and they always did it for me. And it was just kind of like the idea that you were like insidery at Taco Bell and that they had this like secret menu. Uh, it was just thrilling. Uh, it's the stupidest thing in the world. But this Avishar, he's he's I'm I'm giving away too much of my draft board right now. But the fact that he not only has this amazing hangover food, uh, the cheesy brisket crunch, he also trained under Wiley Dufresne at WD50. So mm-hmm. I know he's super geeky and uh, you know. One of these chemistry, biology, um, brain chefs. So I, there's just – there's a lot going for Avishar. And distillery. He opened a distillery, Tom. Oh, come on. This is your kind of guy. Come on. This is a man after your heart. Gordita's WD-50 and a distillery. I mean – Oh, it's going to be tough to not draft. I, I might one. have to. I, I might have to hoard and trade here. I mean, this is this is a. <laughs> you are giving a bit away. Um, another one of the uh, beard nominee chefs is is Don Brell from Houston. Uh, I did not make it to Culture, which is in this kind of cool complex uh, in downtown Houston, but she was nominated. 
Best Chef Texas. I think you and I both have an extremely soft spot for modern kind of uh, modern Southern, which, which was sort of the uh, the calling card there. And even more so, she is from the coaching tree of Tyson Cole. We're talking about the Uchi Empire uh, in Texas. You, you, you've, you've probably you might have been to Uchiko in Austin or Uchi. I've been a, several times. So she came through that sort of uh, that Tyler Cole coaching tree and um, got herself a uh, Best Chef Texas nomination. And and I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think culture might have closed during the pandemic. But at any rate, um, she is another force to be reckoned with um, as we sort of size up the field. I mean, Kevin, you bury the lead here. What's she the lead? fucking competed in the Olympics. She was an Olympic track. She's an Olympian? Field. She's an Olympian. She represented Olympian? the United States in uh, the long jump in the 2000 Sydney uh, Olympics. And she's a chef. So back to back, Kevin, these contestants are on fire. Uh, Don Burrell is, it comes from a family of like Olympians, like track stars. And she, when she wrapped up her track and field um, career, she decided to become a chef. And so she's not only just one of the best chefs in the world, she's also one of the best athletes in the world, which is super cool. Right. So, so if they do like the steep, the, the, the steeplechase challenge, like quick fire challenge, she will win that. I mean, if it's a larger kitchen, because they're trying to be COVID friendly here or COVID social distancing, <laughs> maybe that speed is going to help her in the competition, Kevin. That's, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, speaking of you know pedigrees, um, he uh, so the next contestant is Gabe Arales, who worked at Noma in Copenhagen, which, as you know, sort of in, in the foraging movement was sort of there was a time where Noma was the hardest reservation in the world and probably the most celebrated restaurant in the world. Um, I'd say about eight, nine, ten years ago, possibly. And uh, he comes through that El Paso guy, also kind of participated in the Austin scene. Um, and, uh, his restaurant was named, uh, by Texas monthly best new restaurant and Texas monthly. We talk about kind of periodicals, regional periodicals that know what the hell they're talking about in the food scene. Uh, first and foremost is Texas monthly. I I imagine you have read their best barbecue of Texas. Mm. Uh, I think it's every two years, I believe they put it out, um, which is a contemporary Bible, Tom. For those on a barbecue trail in Texas, which I have used, I had a thumbed up copy when I went my first barbecue trip back in, I think, 06 to Texas, kind of roaming around central Texas. So um, he comes from that scene and uh, like, again, a combination of kind of regional dedication with, oh, by the way, I did prime myself at one of the most notable restaurants in the world. Yeah, apparently there's two chefs on here that used to ply their trade at Noma. So Man, um, this he's he's as far as this season of contestants goes. He's one of the most popular chefs that we have um, on on social media on Instagram. He has seven thousand followers on Instagram, which is the second highest number on this crew. I actually looked this up for all the contestants because I was following. I decided to follow all of them on the Pack Your Knives Instagram feed, which is at Pack Your Knives on Instagram. Go follow. Um, and he has the. You were such a social media account. whore. I'm not even like I'm locked on Instagram. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer, and I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. 
ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum-sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Yeah, but denying my pictures of my puppy to the, to the world at large. Yeah, you can't you can't deny Howard to the to the world. I mean, come on. So so Gabe Gabe comes with a lot of prestige coming into this competition. Not we're not talking Bruce Coleman um kind of prestige, but he he does have this bio that that is that is quite impressive. Next one is Nelson uh Herman. Oakland, California, back with a representative. Um, you know, again, guy who has who's who's whose pedigree is reads like a who's who of, uh, you know, of New York, um, where he grew up, moved out to the Bay, um, or he's doing really good work at a, at a, at a, um, an Afro Latino cocktail lounge is, is what, uh, his, his joint in, uh, Oakland is, is characterized as Alamar kitchen. So, um, and so I, this will be, this, this will be really interesting to see. I, I think one of the things that the show's done really well is allowed, chefs to kind of showcase their heritage their their influences whether from childhood from family from lineage and it's something we've seen a lot more in the last three to four seasons than we did in the first 10 seasons of the show so this will be really interesting but again Gramercy Park Hotel um Citarella which actually was like the first time I ever went to a real fish market in, um, oh, cool. in New York, like, like, like a real store where you get like the real stuff when I it was on the Upper West Side when I was going to college there. So, uh, yeah, this will uh, be interesting to watch him as well. Yeah. Well, one little note on him is when I went to Alamar on Instagram, I know it's a really good restaurant because Mark Spears, our friend who covers the NBA, uh, Mark Spears already follows Alamar. So it's right, got to be good if it. Mark Spears is on it. because He's got the he's Mark Mr. Spears seal of approval. You know, it's good. Uh, who is next, Tom? Byron Gomez. Byron Gomez is uh, a chef from Aspen. Um, and if you thought that he might have served- No one is from Aspen. Where is he from? Oh, I, I'm not quite sure where he's from. Or I yeah. guess he, he hails from Long Aspen. Island. He's a chef in Aspen. Um, 
But the but the thing, the underlying thing here is this guy has probably served Jeff Bezos, um, Bill Gates, uh, any sort of billionaire. He's probably served them because his his work. He hails from uh, the Hamptons and Aspen. Um, where his work has has preceded the show, he has worked at the Hamptons and Aspen. So I'd imagine he has served the most uh, expensive plates that any of these contestants have served. Yeah, uh, and and it's uh, yeah. I think I think in terms of per capita income of of or median income of diner. Uh, he will lead the league in, in in that category, having worked in the Hamptons, as you said, and and Aspen. Indeed, um, he is. He's also he's from Costa Rica. He worked under uh, I don't know if he worked under Daniel Bula, um, but he's he's I I think he's going to be a real force on this on this season. Um, he runs seven nine zero eight in Aspen. We'll see what he does when you know he's serving up dishes to Padma and Tom and Gail. But um, yeah, exciting competitor here in Byron Gomez. Yeah, so then we have um, – we now have uh, Sasha, Sasha Grumman, yeah. who is in Houston. By the way, I'm really excited to see Houston um, kind of make a real charge. I, I think Houston is one of the – it might be the most underrated culinary capital in America. The number of insane meals I had there in a five-day period – I'm talking about Nancy's Hustle, Theodore Rex – Kokoro, which is this little sushi counter in this little food hall. Um, there is amazing Vietnamese food in, um, in, in Houston. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that it's starting to get recognized. I think Austin has always been the place people sort of, you know, go in terms of thinking about food and the movement in, in Texas. But, but to me, I, I think Houston is just insanely good. She also worked with Tom, one of our old friends, friend of the podcast. Um, a restaurant you and I had one of our better meals together at so, a couple of years ago, Union, with Bruce Kalman. She uh, she she worked there. Yeah, so I always like these kind of top chef trees, and the fact that she's worked uh, under Bruce, and she's a Sicilian background. She's got a lot of Italian um, influence here, and if she worked at Union, man, she's got my seal of approval too. So Sasha is definitely a heavyweight here in, in the competition. And I was wondering, like, I was wondering of all the, you know, 28 markets in the NBA, uh, Houston, would you say is the most underrated food city? I, I think Houston's insanely good. I think it yeah. is so underrated. I, it was just, and I didn't even get to half the places on my list. And, and we're not just talking about kind of, oh, downtown, you know, destination joints. I mean, there's, there are these great neighborhood places that have popped up. Um, there's some of the best Vietnamese food in America in Houston. Harris County, I think next to Queens in Los Angeles County is like the most ethnically diverse county in America. And so, you know, you go a little further out, there is amazing Indo-Pakistani food. Like there is just like the entire city. And and then you also get kind of great American classics. It's Houston, right? And, And there, and rents are relatively cheap commercially in Houston, which is another issue. And you, you and I have talked about it. We talked about it with Jen Carroll in Philadelphia, right? That mm-hmm. one of the things that's happened in this country is it is too expensive in San Francisco, New York, you know, Los Angeles and, and Boston, et cetera, for young chefs. But it is not too expensive to open your own – hang your own shingle and open your own joint in a place like Houston or Atlanta or Philadelphia 
or, or Milwaukee for that matter. And I think Houston has been the greatest beneficiary because when you combine, you know, sort of, again, the, the, the composition of the county, the rents, uh, you know, it's a sunbelt city, uh, produce is more, it's just everything about it is, is, is amazing. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see Houston get some representation. I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm a honk now for Houston. Um, Next contestant, one of my favorite profiles is Roscoe Hall, who is in Birmingham, Alabama. And look, look, talk about this lineage, Tom. Yeah. You grow up under Alice Waters at Chez Panisse out in the Bay. Before you kind of move over to, by the way, I, I think I, I had a cup of coffee in Portland and then goes to work at Mamafuku Sambar <laughs> in New York City. By the way, Tom, I, I don't know if you're looking for like potentially a, you know, next time you do a, you have folks over when this thing's all, all uh, this thing is all over, you know, Super Bowl party. The Mamafuku Sam recipe is available in the New York Times. It is so amazingly easy once you get yourself an eight or nine pound pork shoulder, but you can do it. It, it just requires some time and a big hunk of pork. But I will tell you that Mamafuku Sam is something you should be cooking. Uh, for for friends and family at the next time you need to prepare food for 15 or 20 and it is so easily doable but my favorite um roscoe hall resume item is he was the executive chef at rodney scott's barbecue which is in charleston south carolina but i didn't realize they had a birmingham alabama location and tom rodney scott's barbecue will blow your mind it is it is just honestly one of the five best barbecues in the country right now you go there for the whole hard barbecue tom but do not sleep on the spare ribs oh yeah i am not sleeping on the spare ribs i am awake on the spare ribs so roscoe is i mean roscoe first of all the name roscoe is amazing um and hall is my my wife's maiden name so i'm like uh, just your family your family we're basically family uh and he's an artist too come on this guy is a rock star. So Roscoe Hall, big fan. He's going to be, a, I think, a, a, a cult hero of this yeah, show. Yeah, I, I mean, but come on. I mean, Shea Panisse, Mama Fuku, <laughs> and Rodney Scott. Like like the coolest back of a baseball card you have ever seen, Tom, in terms of pedigree. Like I am I am all in uh, on, on his candidacy. Um, Sarah Howman's also got a, a totally different uh, but – I think equally interesting uh, pedigree. Uh, she is one of the Beard uh, nominees of the five of the 15 st- uh, semifinalists for Rising Chef, both in 16 and 17. She was working in San Francisco for Brandon Jew, who I, I believe we've seen on Top Chef kind of make an appearance. I, am I, uh, you'll have to go check my facts. But, um, you know, it was really coming up in the San Francisco scene and, and then kind of decided to do something really interesting, Tom, which is. She's now the head chef at Soder Vineyards in Carleton, Oregon. And Carleton is exactly like in the Yamhill County area I was talking about. They do some kick-ass Pinots um, that you can order online. Actually, my favorite online wine place. Not a sponsor, so I'm, I'm just doing this out of the kindness of my heart. J.J. Buckley in Oakland, California is the best place to order wines online in America. I love my guys there. If they want a sponsor, I'm open to it. Yeah, and by the way, I, I will call uh, I will call the gang there because, uh, yeah, I, we, we would love for you to sponsor. But um, it's a place <laughs> that actually carries soda wines. Um, Tom, Oregon Pinot has been one of my – we're going to talk about it later in one of the later episodes. I'm sure there will be an Oregon wine uh, episode if not multiple ones. But like this was the, the – quarantine, Tom, was the year of Oregon Pinot in my house. And I'm really excited that we have executive chef at one of the kind of more prolific – 
uh, Pinot producers in Oregon. And I also think it's kind of cool. Like you're in the restaurant scene in San Fran and you're like, screw it. You know what I want to do? I want to go be an executive chef at Soder Vineyards, which has just sort of a, a, a beautiful ranch less than an hour from Portland that does beautiful food and wine. And I, I think the pace is probably a little different. Um, and you are probably cooking with some mucky mucks, but uh, that to me is a really interesting profile. It is. And all I read in her profile was Michelin star, Michelin star, Michelin star, Michelin star. I mean, she's got an amazing back of the baseball card, like you said. And also she's from Portland or she's cooking in Portland. So I almost feel like in normal seasons, the pressure of the hometown hero in Top Chef might be a little bit heavy because you're out in the scene, you're out and about at your favorite restaurants, and you're uh, you're you're face to face with some some iconic people in your city. But this year might be a little bit different. I think that weight is a little bit lighter uh, because it's kind of in a COVID bubble. Uh, you're not having to go interface with some of those, you know local pillars. And so I kind of feel like Sarah Howman is going to have a deep run in this in this show, not just because of the, you know, she's from Portland, but I feel like the winery background is really going to serve her well in this competition. So yeah, Sarah, Sarah, and also, also a really interesting uh, chef testing here. Who's next, Tom? Kiki Lua from Detroit um, comes from uh, Congolese immigrants and it was named by the new york times as one of the 16 black chefs changing america holy shit yeah this is a big get for Tap Chef. yeah no and it's interesting she has a, a fascinating story i mean really kind of got a, a bedrock member of sort of the detroit culinary renaissance in the last few years there's some actually great places i hear in detroit was excited to get there this year for a story obviously didn't um but actually, I think has walked, uh, sort of moved back from some of her places in Detroit to really kind of apply herself on kind of equity issues, like like you know coming up with more sustainable wage models in restaurants, like figuring out hey how can restaurants sort of you know take care of, of their wage earners in the kitchen, um, back of the house, etc. Um, this is a real movement that, that predates COVID and kind of just economic justice within restaurants. Um, her restaurants in Detroit were really hyper-local in the sense that, I mean, the stuff was farmed in, in the neighborhoods. I mean, just you know, sort of local kind of urban farming as, as, as a bedrock part of that movement. Um, and I think now is actually kind of, kind of, kind of is, 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 is instructing younger chefs, younger entrepreneurs and sort of how to do this if you want to get in the restaurant business that these other considerations. So uh, it's going to be really interesting um, just again, and I, and I love the idea and, and love that we could see some Central African cooking in the show. Um, you know, when, when Top Chef, again, always does a really good job of sort of demanding and, and insisting that, that chefs kind of draw on personal experience, on background, on, on memory. Uh, one of my favorite things about the show. So she, uh, he could be a really interesting contestant um, and kind of excited to hear more about that. Um, Maria Mazon in uh, Tucson, Arizona, another place that I would love to eat, have not eaten. Um, another James Beard semifinalist for Best Chef Southwest. Um, the tacos, Eric at Boca. Oh, Eric, I called you. <laughs> Tom, listen to you. I called you by my partner's name. Um, this is what happens when you live with only one I person. I feel very for, for, honored. For, Tom, considered a compliment. Tom, <laughs> Boca Tacos and Tequila. 
which is her joint in Tucson. Just look at some of those tacos. Um, really interesting. So uh, kind of excited to have a taco. I'm not a tequila guy, though. I, I've never been able to get tequila down. Where are you mm. on, on, on te- I find that tequila is one of the more polarizing substances um, in the kitchen. Uh, I'm very much warming up to tequila. It used to be just the, the worst shot at the bar at the end of a long night. Um, but that was shitty tequila. Like the Jose Cuervo Gold is just shitty tequila. Nowadays, uh, you, you drink some tequila on ice, like good tequila. It is good. And the hangovers aren't worse. Like you can have like one or two without hurting yourself the next day. So as a dad, I appreciate that. It's just uh, when the kids are yelling at six in the morning, it actually is counterintuitive thinking that tequila is actually not a bad hangover, but really? it's true. I mean, tequila and its crazy cousin mezcal just have never been my my bag. Um, but I, I got to tell you, like the the I, I'm imagining the molo de pollo, the the, the sort of the mole, uh, mole poblano chicken taco with sesame seeds sounds really good at her place. You got a little surf and turf, the mari tierra steak and beer battered shrimp. Um, I mean, there is and. A classic Sonoran kind of uh, Phoenix Tucson thing: the bacon wrapped hot dog taco. <laughs> Which I would, I, we we've got to, we need to engage um, on, on this. Uh, we will hopefully get some of these chefs on our air. Uh, but when we talk to Maria, I want to, I want, I want the entire backstory for the bacon wrapped hot dog taco so I, yeah I'm like just, you're, you're you're talking about momofuku's psalm recipe and i'm like man what about her recipe for the bacon wrapped hot dog taco i could do that at home as well another james a beard nominee um out of seattle shota nakajima has two places in seattle um the first is taku which is essentially um you know th- this is sort of osaka style eating it's like it's basically fried stuff on sticks kushukatsu and that is the place uh that it is one of his fame places in seattle i have not been because i haven't been to seattle since 2015 um they need an nba team let's get them an nba team uh in sort of it's a kushukatsu joint and then adana which i believe closed during the pandemic but he does japanese comfort food um just this is this is, is right in my wheelhouse. I mean, come on, Japanese nothing's better. The only thing better than comfort food is Japanese food, <laughs> and when you combine it two for Japanese comfort food, you're 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 winning. So um, that's where he is. He uh, he comes from Seattle, so he's kind of in the regional Pacific Northwest regional, and um, excited to see him cook. Yeah, I mean the James Beard Award winning background, the fact that he's regionally locally um, from Seattle cooking there and then he of all of the chefs that i followed on the pack your knives instagram feed um he had the highest following so he might be the most famous if you're using that as a proxy which is probably a messy proxy but um 9830 followers as of this typing um chef shota is the biggest name on this list in terms of instagram uh standing so he's got i mean he's he's a He's a juggernaut here, um, not just from the more traditional award department, but also just I think a lot of people like him. So um, Chef Nakajima is 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 a big deal, big deal for this for this cruise. So next one is another Gabe, Gabriel Pascuzzi. Tom, I have a sandwich for you from his famed 
And this is one of the most heralded sandwich shops in America, the Stack Sandwich Shop. This is I picked one out for you. This is on the seasonal menu. It's the polpetta. Pork and veal meatballs, spicy tomato sauce, Parmesan provolone, truffle pecorino on a toasted hoagie. Tom Aversow, is that a sandwich created in a laboratory for you? I just passed that. What'd you say? <laughs> I mean, and by the way, I got a second one for you. And see, I, I don't eat red meat anymore. This is this is the problem with me. I got I'll another eat it for one for you. you. That's fine. I'm happy. The I'll oxtail eat French all over the dip. Yes, Tom. The oxtail French dip, which is braised oxtail, cast iron charred onions and cremini mushrooms, oh, Havarti cheese, rosemary jus on a toasted hoagie. <laughs> I'm having the smoked turkey Reuben myself, but um, but. I mean the portobello bond me. I feel like my, some of my happiest moments with you is eating oxtail. Listen, if you come back out to Los Angeles, you and Allison, I will go and make and eat oxtails. We will braise them all day, all after. We'll braise them for like seven hours and we will go on a hike and we will come home and we'll eat braised oxtails because you do love my braised oxtails and I'm, I'm proud that you love my braised oxtails. But um, yeah, his sandwich shop is – I mean it, it, look, it's uh, – you know, it is it is one of the top sandwich shops in America, and um, he he was Eater's Portland Chef of the Year. Uh, that is no small thing. Um, really, really, really eclectic chef who can who can cook high, can cook low, um, and apparently uh, worked at Calicchio and Sons. Ooh, so is the fix in minute. Tom? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I Kevin? don't know. Does does Tom have to recuse himself? Yeah, I mean, he has a conflict of interest here. Um, This has happened on the show quite a bit. Um, And this is one of the things that I would like to know, like Pascuzzi's representation on this show in two ways requires more research. I want to know, and maybe we can get that from, um, from our favorite Top Chef Stats proprietor. I would love to know if hometown chefs fare better than worse than average. We'll have you'll have to get on that, and in, in our uh, and and we have friends in the in the Top Chef Stat community who can run this for us. Is do you that, that that's a very good question? Is there a home a home counter advantage? I, in, I wonder um, about that. A the home other thing that advantage. I want to know is does Tom Calicchio, if you know Tom Calicchio's or worked for him, is that kind of is that bias going to hurt you, or is that actually an advantage? So I would I. Gabriel, he's also from um, – he also worked at Noma. So not only did Gabe work at Noma, but I believe uh, Gabriel did as well. So we have got a couple contestants here who worked at probably one of the top 10 most prestigious restaurants in the world. So, I, man, uh, Gabriel Pascuzzi with Mama Bird and with Stack, it's he's, – he's awesome. And he is the second of two chefs who hail from Portland. So – He's got the hometown thing going as well. Next one is Jamie Tram from Las Vegas, Eater's Chef and Restaurant of the Year for uh, for I think 2017 or, or recently. Man, mm-hmm. um, that is an impressive resume uh, in Las Vegas. As we know, I've been on the show. Las Vegas has a lot of incredible restaurants. Yeah, and it's also really interesting because I, I think it was about 10 to 15 years ago that people realized that like a lot of the best eating in Vegas, you know, outside of the celebrity chef joints on the Strip. It was like a long Spring Mountain Road when you get west of kind of the Strip. Um, 
and and we all discovered great places there. I think you and I have been to Raku and, and other places that have really been heralded. What's interesting about her joint is it's not even out Spring Mountain. It is in the far southwest on the other side of the Beltway. And um, and it is very casual. It is called the Black Sheep. And as you said, to win that in a city where there is celebrity cooking, where there are some tried and true places along Spring, Spring Mountain, and to open up a little casual joint doing Vietnamese and winning essentially restaurant of the year, uh, that is a lot. And Tom, I mean, I looked at the menu and for you, I have picked out the braised Duroc pork that looks absolutely delicious. Um, but I, I just think this is sort of a, again, a testimony to Vegas and the fact that you don't have to go to a signature hotel anymore. You could eat, you could never step foot on the strip in Vegas for a month and have great food everywhere. It's just a, it's a place that is just tremendous in terms of options. And, and again, like the fact that this is like a casual affordable joint and she made it work. It's just much respect there. And because I'm an Instagram whore, um, I have to note she's the least followed account of all the contestants on Instagram, but sure. A woman after my own heart. She's got, um, she's got quite the resume here. So I think that, that following, that social following, whatever that means, I, I mean, she's, she's got an incredible resume, and she's from Vegas, so I kind of feel like when you're when you're on Top Chef, you have to have that ability to, uh, not be starstruck when a when a celebrity chef comes into the room, and I kind of feel like if you're a chef in Las Vegas, like you've seen them all, you've seen them all, just by rubbing shoulders and being part of the food scene there. Uh, don't think she's going to be starstruck at all um, about about this competition. Last but not least, Chris, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Viud, Viud, Chris Viud from Milford, New Hampshire, a New Englander after my own heart. Yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, your far New England is 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 uh, is being represented in out in the West Regional. This is uh, this is this is very good. Um, a, a baker. Which, as we know, has its real advantage. A guy who just um, is is just when it comes to breads, pastries, uh, top of his game. Uh, really, uh, again, we, we've we've talked about the sort of no the, the the like we've seen in recent seasons that baking definitely, you know, it allows you to do the dessert which nobody wants to do in restaurant wars. You know, it 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 it. it Forge you niches and important team competitions, um, and if you know how to do it, it is it is almost an instant pass to the next round. Um, and the truth is, is in a in a restaurant field, uh, in, a, in a top chef field, very few chefs want to be saddled with baking. And I think it's. I was thinking about this when I when I read Chris's bio. I was like, you can. This is a this is a market inefficiency in the, in the top chef game, Tom. Totally agree with you. And he's got a top chef pedigree working with Adrian Mosier in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, chef Brian Young, our guy who hosted the in in Lexington, Kentucky, who was the host of our table and brought over our dishes and all around great guy. Brian Young, also one of his pals in Boston there. So the Boston provincial, like the tree is very strong here with Chris, Chef Chris. Um, and I'm always curious. I, I would love to talk to some of the, the, I don't know if there's a top chef casting director, um, just kind of like how much those trees matter is Brian Young and, and chef Adrian were on the same season. And one of their closest pals, Chris 
um, is on is on this season. So um, I really like to see the the New England representation here. And as he's the last chef of the fifteen, Kevin, I wanted to point out we don't have an LA based chef or a New no. York based chef or a Miami based chef. So what do you make of that? I mean, what I make of it is is that that like this country. You can go just about anywhere now and have almost a week full of good meals. And it is no longer the case where these food capitals have a, a monopoly on on talent. And in fact, there's great appeal in the going in these places. You get to actually get creative chefs who, again, could not afford otherwise to do this. You know, you can have talented chefs in, in New Hampshire doing you know, fantastic food. And by the way, I am on the Greenleaf Milford site right now, and I am ready to book a table, Tom. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so I, I think that's sort of the thing is why not? I mean, why, you don't have to recruit from Los Angeles when there are great chefs in Tucson. Um, you don't have to go to Boston if you've got a chef in Milford, New Hampshire nearby. I mean, you can you can do this. And I just think it's one of the cooler things about traveling domestically now. I mean, hell, I mean – I've had a great meal in Fargo, North Dakota. I've had like there are people doing cool things with food, and I, you know, and I, I don't. It's interesting. I mean, I want to talk about more of this with, with guest chefs. Like, like what happened in the last fifteen years? Is it just that people started caring about local ingredients? Is it that hey, the internet gave you access as a young chef in a place where you might not otherwise have gotten exposure to the greats, um, where, you, where you could absorb? I mean, th- th- it's a, it's a really interesting question. Like, what happened? So that you and I are having some of our best meals in the country in, in suburban Hartford or Indianapolis or, or, or wherever it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's really being that, – that through line is being represented in this in this season at Top Chef. So um, se- season 18, the preview is done. Next episode, we're going to break down the first episode, the season premiere, April 1st. And then we're going to do our draft. So I kind of have a, a sense of what your big board looks like, Kevin. I've been I've been making notes here. Oh, um, really? Because I don't have a sense of what my big board looks like yet. I, I, Very but, you know, it could change after this. the first episode. I'm just I'm just taking notes and reading the tea leaves here a little bit. And uh, I have I have a sense of some of your favorites and and some of the ones that you're like, all right, next 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 contestant. So we're gonna watch the first episode. We're going to um, recap the first episode and do our annual draft of Chef Testants. Um, I'm so excited for, for Top Chef to be back. If you haven't listened already, go back. We revisited Top Chef Las Vegas season six with the Voltagios, um, with uh, uh, just a, a stacked group, Chef Jack Carroll, um, Chef Gillespie, all of those folks in season six, uh, Las Vegas. Go listen to that because we recapped every episode. We did a rewatch. It was super fun. And now we get a fresh batch of Top Chef season 18. What happens in a pandemic for Top Chef? We're about to find out um, with a lot of Top Chef alums coming back. I am super excited, Kevin. Tom, looking forward to it. You go prepare my big board for me. And uh, we will reconvene after the April 1st premiere. For Tom Haberstroh, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives. Pack Your Knives.